Wedge Issues is brought to you by Wispolitics.com, a place where political insiders go for news, opinion, and campaign information. Once again, that's Wispolitics.com. Ben Wickler just moved back to Madison from Washington, D.C. a few months ago, but the senior advisor at MoveOn has some pretty deep Wisconsin roots, and now he's running to serve as chairman of the Democratic Party of Wisconsin. I'm Jesse O'Poyan, and this is Wedge Issues, a Cap Times podcast about state government and politics in Wisconsin. Now, at the time that Ben and I talked, he was the only candidate in the DPW chair race, but since then, State Representative David Bowen has also announced his candidacy. So there's at least one question in the interview that's not quite accurate anymore, but I think we'll be fine. I will also ask you to excuse a few seconds of technical difficulties here and there where the sound quality is less than desirable. Um, Sometimes technology just doesn't do what we want it to. And on the note of things just not going quite right this week, uh, both of my regular News Roundup co-hosts are otherwise occupied, leaving me high and dry here, so we're just going to skip that portion of the podcast and jump right into this conversation. Without further ado, here's Ben Whistler. I'm Ben Wickler. I am from Madison. I live in the house where I grew up. Um, I've worked in progressive politics around the country and here in Wisconsin, and I'm running for chair of the Democratic Party of Wisconsin. And uh, yeah, you have very deep Madison roots. It turns out you were on the Cap Times student editorial board when you were a kid, <laughs> which is, um, we, we were just looking through some old photos from high school days when you were appearing in our paper. Yes. <laughs> I, yeah, I kind of, I got started pretty early in all this stuff. Um, so when I was, my first political memory is going to a Jesse Jackson rally on the, the Capitol steps when I was seven. Um, and then when I was 11, I had my first experience volunteering for a campaign, stuffing envelopes and, you know, putting up yard signs. Uh, my godmother ran for Congress, a woman named Ada Deer, who is amazing. And she's now my kid's great godmother. She like <laughs> brings the birthday cakes to their birthday parties. Um, and she's just like one of the most amazing, inspirational people you'll ever meet. So from the time I was a kid, I was hearing about, like, your job is to change the world. You know, my parents are, are also into this kind of stuff. And uh, from there, I've, I've kind of never stopped. I found uh, I'm really happiest when I'm involved in a fight that is bigger than myself and that is something I care about. And it's also fun to, to be in the battle. And uh, that's, I guess, the, the photos from my high school days in the Cap Times archive are from when I was a senior at West High. Uh, I helped start a group called this called um, – Students United in Defense of Schools, which, like so many things in politics, was chosen for the acronym, which was SUDS. <laughs> and our slogan was, it's time to clean up school funding. Ooh. We had like soap bubbles on the logo. We were very proud of that. <laughs> uh, and it, that campaign, uh, which I'll give a backstory of in a second, it was trying to change the school funding formula for the state of Wisconsin. So I was working with student council leaders from around the state to petition the state legislature this was before internet organizing was really a thing. So I was literally like mailing out petitions to all these different student councils, and then they would come back with signatures and ketchup stains and mustard stains <laughs> from school cafeterias. And then all these students came to Madison, and we all went to the Joint Finance Committee in the state capitol and testified at their hearings about the budget and like talked about you know our school's physical plant crumbling and what it was like having special education teachers be cut because of budget constraints. And that year, they wound up putting in $20 million in extra funding for special education. And so all of us who were involved had this like 
formative experience of being part of a fight about something that affected us that we cared about and then actually making a difference which kind of spoils you for life as an activist. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not the outcome. And some of those things that you were fighting for then are still conversations that are being had Absolutely. in the legislature. Yes, yeah. so. and in fact, there will be budget hearings about special education funds the governor's proposing where this exact dynamic is, is in play. And I urge any high school students listening right now, your voices really, really can matter in these kinds of fights. So I hope folks will get involved. Were you were you just solely interested in, in politics growing up, or did you have some other interests? That, <laughs> have you just always been a political animal? I uh, I was a busy kid. <laughs> I had a lot going on. Um, in middle school, uh, I have a, a a mentor and friend named Charlie Daniel, who, with me and a group of other kids of a bunch of different races and ethnicities, started a multicultural poetry and politics club that met at Canterbury Booksellers, and we would like read poetry from authors of all different backgrounds and talk about art and politics and race and like so that was the thing I was uh, did a lot of um, I was a rower on Lake Mendota that Madison has one of the few rowing clubs that's like all public you know public school students and we would drive 15 passenger vans to uh, races with other schools and it would all be prep school kids and we would be like the ragtag bunch of misfits <laughs> we were actually pretty good which is really fun um, I did. I was really into The Onion. I was obsessed with it starting in elementary school. And I read it and read it and read it. And then in middle school, some friends and I started an underground student paper called the Hamilton Free Press, which was in, at Hamilton Middle School, uh, which was inspired by The Onion. And then in high school, we started the Yellow Press, which was also inspired by The Onion. <laughs> and we kept we sent every issue to The Onion offices. And we, you know, they, they had a kind of strict, no unsolicited submissions policy, and they didn't want people sending them jokes. But uh, my senior year of high school, they actually wrote back, and they were like, this is pretty good. You should come in. And so my very dear friend Peter Keckley and I uh, went into their offices and saw their beanbag chairs before, like, the internet bubble. It's just, like, so cutting edge. And got to sit in on a pitch meeting, and then they invited us to start contributing. So I started running for The Onion uh, when I was a senior in high school also. And got to do that, uh, you know, throughout college. And then Peter went on to become the managing editor for The Onion. And I sort of had, I, I kind of toggled between uh, politics, political satire, politics and political satire, basically, for a while after after college. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, that's so cool. <laughs> that's like every every young kind of funny person's dreams <laughs> have a chance at that. Um, so what did you study in college? Where did you go to college? Um, so I was very lucky to get into Harvard for college. And that was the, I'd taken classes at University of Wisconsin in high school. I love UW, but that pulled me away. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> yeah. Um, met my, so the main thing I did in college really was activism, um, which is probably no surprise. Uh, I interned for Russ Feingold. I worked at the Center on Wisconsin Strategy here in Madison. Um, and I helped start a group called the Student Global AIDS Campaign in college, which uh, SUDS has a great acronym. SGAC has the worst acronym. It's not great. It's terrible. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, uh, SGAC is still going. There's wow. still It's a national student organization. And when I see people who have been part of it or are part of it, they tease me mercilessly about the acronym. <laughs> it's a total disaster. Uh, but that campaign was like another experience of being involved in a fight that felt just mind-blowingly important. In the in the early 2000s, the AIDS epidemic in Africa and different parts of the world was just exploding. And when we started the campaign, the, the number of people in the developing world who were getting AIDS treatment from their government was like in the single digits. It was There was just no treatment, and there was this conventional wisdom that nobody could get treatment. And the amount of money for AIDS programs was minuscule. 
And I met uh, a bunch of people who were thinking about this um, when I was a college student. So Paul Farmer, who's this amazing doctor who started Partners in Health, um, Jeffrey Sachs, who's an economist who's uh, done a lot of stuff about global poverty. Uh, there's an African-American religious leader named Eugene Rivers in Boston who was organizing black faith leaders around the AIDS crisis. Um, and had, I had long conversations with him. And want, I wanted to figure out how students could get involved. Um, and then I met some people from ACT UP, which is the iconic activist group that you know, changed AIDS policy in the, mm-hmm. in the U.S. And started they started kind of mentoring me about how to do activism and organizing. That was like another life-changing yeah. period for me. And we organized students at colleges, I think at 250 campuses around the country, to lobby Congress and had the kind of national version of, of SUDS. We went to D.C. and did lobby days. And uh, my my now wife and I met, or I fell in love with her, I guess we'd already met, um, <laughs> putting up posters for a protest as part of the AIDS campaign uh, when I was an undergraduate student. Um, and I think that, so I started out doing like politics, philosophy, and economics, this interdisciplinary program. And then um, the more I learned about how how to convince governments to change AIDS policy, it was actually the economic case that was most powerful. So I studied economics and focused on international development uh, for my for my undergraduate degree. And then had another good experience with activism. Yes, yeah, <laughs> Things was, are working out. Yeah. So during that time, um, the U.S. went from giving $200 million a year. I, I remember the meeting, it was in a cafeteria where we came up with what is the goal for the campaign. And the estimate was that the world needed $10 billion a year to fight AIDS. And so, and the, the kind of international norm is that the U.S. gives a quarter of global budgets for stuff like that. So we set this goal of two and a half billion, and we had this huge debate about whether that was just so unrealistic we'd be laughed out of the room. But by the end of college, like that was the U.S. global AIDS budget. Like at the the Senate, John Kerry was running for president. He we kept doing protests to push him to move his number higher. So he like started floating that in the Senate, and then George W. Bush made this his issue and announced the president's emergency plan for AIDS relief. And they did it. And also the drug companies, under a flood of pressure, dropped prices in the developing world. And now uh, what later turned out uh, is that when you get AIDS treatment, you're less likely to transmit AIDS. So actually treatment with generic AIDS drugs is one of the most cost-effective forms of AIDS prevention. And the you know there's still it's still a huge issue, mm-hmm. but it's not a crisis that could destroy generations in the same way because the U.S. is making this, like, really leading on this investment, working with other folks around the world. And there's talk now about reaching an AIDS-free generation in our lifetime. Uh, it is, it's, yeah. Yeah, I mean, to, the, yeah. to get there is, yeah, that would be a fascinating thing to keep talking about. <laughs> um, so so you've moved back to, to Madison now, and we'll, we'll get back to that in a second, but walk me through life from college to, uh, <laughs> and, we, and we won't be here all day, but <laughs> um, yeah, because most recently you've, you've been at Move On um, and another form of activism, but what's, yes. what was the pathway from there to, to here? So I basically worked in in politics and comedy at Air America Radio and a uh, bunch of different things on campaigns, and, and I worked on climate change advocacy for years, uh, and then... I uh, started my own podcast uh, called The Good Fight, which is still out there on on, uh, on iTunes. All right. Uh, and then uh, got Move On actually was a sponsor of my podcast. So I I in two thousand my first time working with Move On was two thousand eight during the presidential election. Um, I wanted to help elect Barack Obama, and I was doing climate change stuff, but sort of subbed over to um, to Move On for you know a few months then. And then in twenty I guess thirteen I was doing my podcast. It became a kind of spokesperson and strategist with Move On for part of my time. And then I became the D.C. director in Washington, D.C. in uh, fall of 2014. And so I had this experience of 
first of, of having a Democratic president and a hostile Republican legislature, mm-hmm. which feels a lot like Wisconsin mm-hmm. right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and at that time, we could work closely. You know, we worked closely with the Obama administration to fight for um, things like the Iran nuclear deal and, and preventing war. Um, then Trump was elected. And I, I almost like I basically was planning to move home. I had uh, kids by that time. Mm-hmm. And my mom and stepdad are here in Madison and I wanted to like raise my kids in Madison, be near them. But when Trump was elected, it was like I, I just like have to fight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I remember I was in Mad- you know, knocking on doors for um, Feingold and for Hillary in Madison at the end of the 2016 election and went to the Feingold victory party and like had my New York Times needle open. Oh, know, the, yeah. That, oh, my God, that needle. Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> it's like we yeah. all have PTSD, needle PTSD. <laughs> um, and our, at some point that night, it was like, this is not going the way any of us wanted it to go or thought it would go. Like, I, I feel like I was in such a bubble. And it's so funny because knocking on doors, you could feel that it wasn't going in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you know, but we sort of like kept trusting our polling aggregators instead of our gut. <laughs> yeah. Never do that again. So uh, that night in the middle of the night, rescheduled my flight, flew back to D.C. We at, we urged people just to gather in solidarity with each other to say that we're going to like stick stand up for each other and resist no matter which communities come under attack first. And I was outside the White House, you know, protesting like six hours later um, at noon on the, the day after the election. And it was like, just nonstop after that. And I the, the biggest fight for me was the um, the fight against Affordable Care Act repeal and the gutting of Medicaid. Because that was something we were so supposed to lose. The White House was saying they were going to do it on the first day in office. Republicans in Congress had already passed repeal bills through the House and the Senate in 2015 as a practice run just to show that they could. And it seemed like, you know, definitely <laughs> a definite failure scenario. And the conventional wisdom in D.C. was that the fight was already gone. I like talked to you know senior legislative aides who said they said 100% chance of failure if we try to fight that. Special interest groups were all thinking this was a done deal, so they were just going to carve out their little bit of it, but not actually try to oppose the repeal. It was only the grassroots, like only people who knew that their lives were under threat and that their communities were under threat. That was the only force opposing this. And then like it was this eruption, and I I had this sort of. I guess not front row seat. I was in the arena with. with <laughs> yeah, them. yeah. And uh, it was just amazing to see. We the, move on. The first protest we organized were in December before the Republicans were sworn in. And then uh, the Senate decided, uh, you know, Elizabeth Warren, all these senators organized protests. Um, I, you know, Tammy Baldwin was, was just an amazing force this entire fight. Um, they organized protests against repeal before uh, Trump's inauguration. Then there was the Women's March, which was like, there's something stirring in this country. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then... For months after that, I was just every waking second. My wife had done a, a went on to do a PhD in health policy, and she was working in the Senate as a health policy advisor. And I was on the outside, you know, organizing protests outside the Capitol and you know, <laughs> working with grassroots groups across the country. Mm-hmm. And we would come home and put the kids to bed, and then stay up late talking about strategy and how can we, you know, <laughs> yeah. And, and the funny thing is, it was like being in college working on the AIDS campaign together because this is the first fight where we'd been, you know, partnering again since, mm-hmm. since those days. So, yeah, activism can bring families together. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then after, you know, sort of battle after battle and town hall uprisings and sit-ins and all these things, the the night of July 28th, 2017, uh, that was the day Republicans decided to have the vote in the Senate. And I woke up that day, like, you know, and on Election Day 2016, I woke up thinking we were going to win. I woke up that day in July 2017 thinking we were going to lose. <laughs> A pit in my stomach. Like, I... 
I just, I couldn't, I didn't want to eat food. I like, <laughs> I felt terrible. Yeah. But we were going to fight till the last second. And I, uh, you know, with my colleagues and, and allies, we pulled together a protest that I emceed outside the Capitol that night, starting at eight. And at like one in the morning, they introduced the bill. And then there was this like toing and froing of, where's John McCain? Why mm, didn't he just leave the yeah. Senate chamber? What's going on? And then he came back in and we were like outside with hundreds of people um, including, you know, people with kids with serious medical needs who'd been like lobbying every day. This group called the Little Lobbyists that I worked with really closely, who just felt like their whole life was on the line about what was going to happen. And we, I was like preparing everyone for for loss. I was like, I remember saying, like, look, like no matter what happens tonight, we're going to keep on fighting. And we were all just girding ourselves. And then someone texted us that John McCain had just hugged Diane Feinstein. And <laughs> we were like, what is happening here? <laughs> this is not the script. Um, we started chanting, hug John McCain, hug John McCain. And then Lisa Murkowski, who had been threatened and under intense pressure, she voted no. And Susan Collins, who we thought we'd had but weren't sure. <laughs> yeah. You don't always have Susan Collins. She voted no. And then John McCain blew everybody's mind and voted no. And we just like exploded in <laughs> joy and tears. And, yeah. like, it was the sense of like relief and jubilation. People were chanting USA. <laughs> All the like Democratic senators came out and did this kind of like, you know, like fixed fists up with victory yeah. and like hugging people. And it was like oh, this magical moment. And, and that turned into the wave that helped – propelled victory in 2018 for here in Wisconsin. Scott, you know, Scott Walker is out in no small part because not only because uh, Tony Evers ran on health care, but also because millions of people were involved in the fight against the getting of health care. And that that kind of inoculated the public against this moment when Republicans tried to claim that they were the ones who supported pre-existing conditions. The public knew it wasn't true because we'd fought. And that, like, you know, to wrap the, wrap the story up, to me, that's the model for what we can do in the Democratic Party. We can we can show up on the issues that people care about. We can show up and show how we fight. And now we can you know be fighting alongside our our governor, who is proposing things that are incredibly popular, from democratic maps to you know democracy, automatic voter registration, to clean water, to supporting public education, to to expanding Medicaid, you know healthcare itself. We show up on those things, show who we are and what we stand for, and then we organize from the grassroots when the when the election comes all over the state to. You know, to translate that passion and, and energy that people have about the issues that matter in their lives into electoral power and energy uh, to to try to fight back against this out of control GOP and to and to ultimately build legislative majorities that can turn our values into laws and affect people's lives. So you moved back to Madison, or at least you were visiting. You were about to move back to Madison and jumped right into the political <laughs> arena here. And when 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 you and I first met, you were here um, leading protests uh, in, during the, the Republican lame duck session. Did you know you, you knew you were going to move back at that point, oh, oh, right? Yeah. 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 So but, after at some point after the healthcare fight ended. Um, I've been, my friends in Madison will tell you that every time I visit, I like start looking at houses and mm-hmm. like, I'm like, okay, we're moving back now. Yeah. And there's just been one thing after another, really one fight after another. Um, but after healthcare, it was like, okay, let's go home. Like, <laughs> like this is, you know, this non being near grandparents thing is ridiculous. Uh-huh. But like my, you know, um, so then it was just trying to figure out when, when we could do it. And finally it was like, we're going to move in 2018 and late 2018. And I came back for you know, some extended periods in, in 2018 and helped out with the election. But then we were going to move, you know, my my wife's, her senator was reelected, Tina Smith in Minnesota. Um, 
and uh, we had our whole game plan. And then the, after the election, the power grab happened. So I had to, like just been here for you know a bunch of weeks volunteering for for Tony and Mandela and and Tammy, and then was back in D.C. like packing boxes. <laughs> <laughs> like I literally, I remember that I I got a call from Linda Kessel from Indivisible Madison, who's an amazing organizer, on the Friday when the power grab like actual bills. I think, yeah, they'd just been It released. was Friday, yeah. It was the Friday. Yeah. We, like, talked late that night. I had this, like, big stack of packing things to do the next day. And uh, I wound up in the middle of the night writing this Twitter thread about, like, 100 tweets long explaining what the Republicans were trying to do. And that Twitter thread then exploded. And I was like, I, I have to go home. So I, like, <laughs> flew back to Madison <laughs> and was, like, protesting outside the Capitol. That's when you and I were speaking um, and then, like, went back to D.C. to finish packing and then moved here. Well, when did you start thinking about running for DPW chair? And what's that thought process been like for you? So I – it was basically after I got back. that In the fall, I was thinking about the spring. I work – I'm a senior advisor at MoveOn now. That's my, uh, my role at MoveOn. And my theory was that I'd come home, be, you know, involved in trying to stop Trump through MoveOn and – like all the different campaigns about issues and elections that MoveOn is doing. But I also knew that like by in terms of just how I am, I would get so itchy if I didn't figure out a way to plug into the battles here. Mm-hmm. And so I was like daydreaming about like could we start a MoveOn state chapter in Wisconsin? What will the coalition look like around the Medicaid expansion fight? And then when I got home, uh, you know, just started asking people, how can I how can I help? Like what can I do in this battle? And talking to like a bunch of friends involved in politics and activism stuff, uh, there was this question about whether Martha Lanning was going to run for again for DPW chair, um, and if she was not, then it was going to be an open seat. And so I started thinking about that, and maybe it's kind of impulsive, but <laughs> I, I, the thing that I know is that at Move On, there's a bunch of different organizing techniques and tools that we've built that are not being used at scale here. So one example is text messaging. I don't know if you got texts from volunteers for different campaigns mm-hmm. in the last few years. Um, there's a program called Hustle, which is great that the Bernie campaign used and you know, lots of different folks have used. It's expensive is the challenge. Mm. And DPW had a, a Hustle contract in the last election cycle, but it was something that only like certain Assembly and Senate candidates could actually afford to make part of their campaign. Sure. Move on, built an open source version of that tool that costs one-tenth as much to use. And that's something that like outside groups have used. But I think the Democratic Party here could actually make that available to everyone for free. And, you know, county chairs could use it to get people to come to their meetings and people running for common council and, and all the way up to across the assembly and state senate candidates. Like, not everyone answers the door when you knock on the door. Right. Not everyone answers the phone when you call. Everyone looks at their text messages. Yeah. At least for now. Yep. And that's, you know, one. Of, there's a, I have a bunch of examples like that of, of things where my whole life has been about believing in grassroots organizing. As, <laughs> as <I've laughs> right. Said. And I, the thing that I, I know is like, it's so much more satisfying and exciting to be part of it when every minute that you spend and every dollar that you spend is used is more powerful. And like my, what's exciting for me about this job is a chance to empower the people that are doing the work and fighting the fight across the state so that, you know, we can build something from the ground up, building on the like amazing work that people have been doing for, you know, my whole life and, you know, throughout the Walker years. But we can build on that and make make the people doing the work, help them be more powerful so that we can build a state that's not just Trump-proof, but Walker-proof and and uh, can do the kinds of things that make Wisconsin, Wisconsin, like leading the nation, showing what's possible in terms of policies that really help people. 
So at this point, at least when we're talking now, you're the only candidate who's in the race, and you've already gotten a pretty big group of people behind you. Um, so it's, it's possible you, you won't actually end up dealing with criticism from other people because you might not have to run against anyone. But if you do, I'm guessing the thing that they'll say is this guy just came in from D.C. and is going to try to fix things and he hasn't been here. And what does he know? What, what do you I mean, I don't, maybe you've heard that already. But what, <laughs> what, what, what do you uh, what would you say in response to that? Yeah, uh, that is a completely fair first question that people would have. What the heck is this guy thinking? He's, you know, hasn't hasn't been here for a bit. Um, I My answer to that is that I like Wisconsin blood runs through my bones. I am every bit from here. Um, and that I have been in different trenches during this entire time. Like I've been in in the fight. And I think what I can offer as a, as a state party chair is just some, you know, ideas and, and tools and stuff that can complement the stuff that people have, have built here. I mean, I like I have no illusions that I know all the answers to everything. And I, one of the things that I'm really enjoying about this race is how much I get to learn from people all over the state. Mm-hmm. And there are like there are county parties doing just amazing things. Um, one of the one of the interesting things is there's 288 county elected county party positions coming up in, in 2020. And there's recorders of deeds in all 72 counties. Mm-hmm. There's all these different things. And there's uh, outside groups like Emerge and Progress Wisconsin. And then there's also the Democratic Party and the you know the, the Democratic Leadership Institute. There's all these all this work that people are doing to build the bench, train people, and how to do these skills. Like it's just it's great and. No one saves anyone in politics. People organize themselves. Uh, what I think I have to offer is like ways that people can can be more powerful in the work that they're already doing. Wedge Issues is sponsored by WISPolitics.com. You can become a WISPolitics.com member. Find out more at WISPolitics.com slash membership. So tell me a little bit about the slate that you're running with. Yes. So I one of the things that's really fun about this is you don't run alone. You run as part of a ticket. And I have, am honored to be on a ticket with two amazing women. Felicia Martin is a county board supervisor in Milwaukee. Uh, she was a state co-chair and a national co-chair of Obama's re-election in 2012. So she's somebody who um, uh, in like 2007 um, just like she watched uh, the, the video of Obama's uh, 2004 convention speech, and it lit a fire under her about, you know, what what politics can be about, and it became like her second full time job, doing like working, knocking on doors, mentoring people, getting people involved, the kind of respect and power include spirit of the Obama campaigns, and got super deeply involved, and then became a candidate for the first time in 2018, um, and now <laughs> now is <suddenly> a statewide <laughs> candidate. Yeah, she's someone who like. There's so many people who I've spoken to in politics who look to her as a mentor and somebody who helps them think about their own path. Mm-hmm. And I like that's, you know, to me, the way on at least in the Democratic Party, the way that we build power is not through individuals. It's through figuring out how to lift other people up. And that is something that she embodies. Uh, and then Lee Snodgrass is so Felicia would be my second vice chair uh, and she would serve with me on the Democratic National Committee for elected. Uh, and also, I mean, both of them would be helping set the vision and tone of the party mm-hmm. um, and there's a, you know, a bunch of specific projects we're talking about as well. Lee Snodgrass is the other candidate on the ticket as the second vice chair. She's the chair of, Adiga- of the Outagamie County Party um, and has a lot of perspective as a county party chair about you know what what the opportunities are and uh, mm-hmm. stuff that's working. 
Uh, she's also a state Senate candidate from the last cycle mm-hmm. and ran a terrific campaign. And having the, the voice of somebody who is in one of the frontline kind of battleground districts on the ticket um, really helps inform how we think about what the party can do to help candidates and help their campaigns and help their volunteers. Um, and so, and she's also just an amazing planner and organizer, communicator. She's her job is as a communications uh, officer for the Girl Scouts, which oh, is an amazing. That's like, cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> people who know the Girl Scouts know it's there's a lot of uh, let's say organizing and activism that go, that takes place there. It's not just brownies. Yep. Um, and yeah, so she like it's just a pleasure working with the the two of them, and we've gotten the chance to speak at the County Chairs Association together, and you know have have had different kind of meetings and trips together. So uh, working with them is just great. What do you think the Democratic Party has been doing right in Wisconsin? So, I mean, the, the number one thing that is not true everywhere that the Democratic Party has been doing right is never giving up in the face of <laughs> overwhelming obstacles <laughs> and challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the experience of losing three successive governor's races is really, really tough. And people keep coming back. And that the people who have poured themselves into every one of those races and then kept going in 2018 and just won are my heroes. Like, that is amazing. And the second thing is that there's been this spirit of of building and figuring out how to do it differently. And especially, um, I'm thinking about, like, in the area of field organizing, the, the complaint that people always have about politics is that people come, you know, right before Election Day and ask for my vote, where, mm-hmm. they've, been, where, they've, been this whole, where have they been this whole time? Um, there's now a statewide field program that's knocking on doors year-round and organizing people and teaching them how to do it. And uh, there's county parties that also have these kinds of field programs are involved in every special election and every local race. Um, one of the opportunities is to weave those things. There's some places where those two things work together uh, beautifully. There's some places where you know there's more challenges of how do the field team work with the county party. Um, but that's all stuff that I'm, I'm really confident we can keep working to, to work out. It's a It's a tremendous thing. And I think one of the ideas that I really want to bring to the party that I think there's a hunger for is to figure out how the party shows up on issues in the, these issue battles between elections, um, you know, working with the governor. That that didn't mean much when we didn't have any elected officials whatsoever. Uh, but now the governor actually is on one side of the negotiating table, and what happens on the other side will be shaped by what constituents do. And so I think, you know, I want to work with county parties to lift up local trusted messengers, people, maybe people who've run for office, maybe other community leaders who can, you know, speak to their community, speak at events, speak to their local weekly newspapers, all this kind of stuff about, about clean water, about health care, about these issues that affect people um, so that we can try to shape the, the terrain that the, our elected Democrats are working on. Uh, are, there, are there things that the party hasn't been doing well that should change or are there um, any major overhauls that you would want to introduce? So this piece around building a, a kind of communications apparatus around the state, I think there's, you know, we're in a different political moment now than we used to be. I think there's a bigger opportunity to, to, to try to do that than there was before. Uh, but that is, and then I think on the technology side, there's just, we're ready for an upgrade, you know, and right now across Wisconsin, people use paper packets when they knock on doors. So that's a clipboard and a piece of paper and your pen and, you know, you're like holding your glove in your armpit as you try <laughs> to like mark the person's name. Um, in lots of parts of the country, people are using uh, apps where they can record data in real time, and then it, immediately the database is updated about whether people actually live where they're supposed to and you mm-hmm. know, whether they're supporting your candidate. Um, getting to switching from paper to apps is a transition. People who've done it a certain way for for decades, it's you know, it can be a challenge. But like figuring out how to do the training and deployment, and some places don't have cell service, so it's not going to work. But like I think we can do a lot to make 
it, it's one of these things that just makes people's time more valuable when the da- there's no risk of the data never getting entered. Uh, the text messaging program is another example of that. Uh, auto dialer tools so that when you're phone making, you don't have to like sit through all the, this phone number has been disconnected. You can actually talk to people the whole time. That's, mm-hmm. a, that's another example. There's a whole suite of these things. And I think we need a you know, technology team. I, I know people at the national level who are compiling lists of like the best the best in class services across all these different areas. Um, you know, I think it's time to take a, take a look at what we're doing and see whether there's better opportunities. Well, in a second, I'm going to move us on to the, the more fun part of the interview, which is the lightning round where I just ask you some goofy stuff. But <laughs> um, before that, I want to just give you a chance to sort of give your elevator pitch to people who are thinking about whether they want to support you in this race. Sure. Uh, so if you're listening and you're thinking about being a delegate to the Democratic Party State Convention this June 1st to 2nd at the Potawatomi in Milwaukee, which I strongly recommend, and you're a paid-up member in good standing of the Democratic Party, and you're applying to your county party to become a delegate, all of which is the process. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, if you're that person, you're thinking about whether to support this ticket, uh, I want you to think about what is the fight where you have felt most empowered and most effective, and to think about what it would be like to have that be what it's like to be a Democrat in the state of Wisconsin. I'm, I am running to, to help equip you with the most powerful tools and training and support so that your time is as valuable as it can be. Um, and I want to bring a, a spirit of respect, empower, include, of, of believing in the grassroots. Uh, I want to redouble the commitment to that spirit within the party. And that, that infuses all the best things that the party does already. That is also the story of my life. And I want to work with you to make that the story of what politics is like in Wisconsin and uh, the way that we win. All right, lightning round time. What is your favorite Wisconsin beer? My favorite Wisconsin beer, I mean, this is cliche, I like Spotted Cow Ale. That's no, no surprise there. <laughs> <laughs> what is the first restaurant that, like, when you, when you would come home for a visit? Mickey's Dairy Bar. Okay. <laughs> Mickey, so Mickey's Dairy Bar, I, t- I, I was lightning round, but I talked to my wife about it so much that the first time I took her there, she thought I was going to propose. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> that's a little. That's a lot of pressure. I, I did give her some earrings, and she was like, "What is this?" And she opened it. It's like, oh, "Okay, it's not a ring." But yeah, <laughs> I'm, I've inhaled more calories at Mickey's Dairy Bar than any place I haven't lived. <laughs> that's, that's you know, it's easy to do that there too. It's so easy. Yeah, oh, I love it. Um, what's your favorite place in Wisconsin to visit outside of Madison? So I, when I was a kid, I went to Moon Beach Camp on Moon Lake in you know northern Wisconsin. It's a long, beautiful drive, and we go every summer when I was a kid. Uh, for I think 12 years. Some of my best friends from across the state are people that I met at that family camp. Uh, my kids, I've, it's like a bedtime story when I tell them about what it's like to go to Moon Lake and stay in the cabin overlooking the lake and hear the loons. Uh, that is my my magical happy place. Great. Uh, are you reading anything right now? I'm reading. <laughs> so <laughs> mostly I'm, uh, yes. I've, I'm halfway through like a whole bunch of books. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm in the middle of the audio book of The Politics of Resentment uh, and Evicted. Yeah. I have... Um, my like long-term project is the Parting the Waters series by Taylor Branch about the civil rights movement. Okay. And it's like just a totally amazing book. Yeah, I have an embarrassing stack of books by my bed. I, I do that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, are you a, do, you, do you prefer to listen to podcasts or music if you're putting your headphones on? Uh, podcasts and audiobooks. Are you binging anything right now on Hulu or Netflix or whatever you <laughs> are? Uh, I... Work at Move On. I have three small children, and I'm running for Democratic Democratic Party of Wisconsin chair. So right now, uh, if other people are looking at a TV, I'm probably on my computer. Sounds about right. Um, what's your favorite place that you've traveled outside of Wisconsin? Oh, that's a great question. So I have a bunch. Uh, my dad's side of the family is Jewish, and um, when they left the shtetl, like some Wicklers got in at Ellis Island and 
you know, moved to the Lower East Side of New York, and others arrived and were told that we'd already exceeded the Jewish quota and they had to find somewhere else to go. So a bunch of them went to Argentina, hmm. and there's a whole Wickler branch in Argentina. Wow. Yeah, and <laughs> there's, a, there's a whole Jewish community there of people who had that experience of being turned away by the U.S., which is one reason why I care about refugees and you know, having a, a welcoming view from this country so much. Um, but my wife and I, in 2008, in the spring, got to go down to Argentina and spend several months there. And I just, like, I love my family there. It's an amazing country. Uh, that's probably the first place I'd say. That's cool. What's the best concert you've ever been to? Oh, oh there's so many. Uh, I, I will go, I don't know if this is the best one, but the one that I probably think about the most is the first concert I went to, which was here in Madison when I was, like, seven MC Hammer and Vanilla Ice. And that's <laughs> memorable. <laughs> like, I'll never forget it. I hope that's not the best one that you've no, ever went to, but no. that's definitely <laughs> memorable. <laughs> um, so if you had a Wisconsin bucket list, things that you sort of associate with the state that you haven't done and maybe a place you want to visit or something that you haven't tried, what would what would the first thing on that be? I'd be spending some time in Door County. And that's something I want to do this summer. I like, you know, I went to Moon Lake and a bunch of my friends went to Door County every summer and I... I know that it's magical, and I just haven't spent the time there that I want yeah, to. Yeah, it's great. I think Madeline Island would be like the other cousin of that for me. Okay. Yeah. All right, last question. What is your favorite Wisconsin cheese? Uh, I, I, like, love extra sharp cheddar. And, it's again, it's the spotted cow of Wisconsin cheeses. Right. But, but it's like, good for a reason. It's so good. <laughs> it's just so good, and I like it on everything. Mm-hmm. I like, like, I'm, you know, the, there used to be a long Wisconsin that you couldn't serve apple pie without a, without a slice of cheese. Okay, so I've heard that. That's, that's real. Well, I've heard that too. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's real. I, I grew up hearing that. Uh, anyway, it actually tastes really good together. Yeah, I've tried it. I'm not sold, but I yeah, it just it weirds me out. Like I, it do, it does taste good. You are right. It does taste good, but I just can't like I can't get past the weirdness of it. Yeah, I, it tastes. I find that it tastes good with like, most things, and I think mm-hmm. I often like sneak it into sandwiches where you're not supposed to have cheese. It like, makes them better. It's, just, it's, a, it's like it's like salt. It just improves things. Since my heart still likes to be, I'm coming home. Thank you for listening to Wedge Issues. Our theme music is Oh, Wisconsin by Loxley. As a general rule, we put out new episodes every Friday, but we're going to take a little spring break here and put Wedge Issues on pause for a minute. So make sure you're subscribed on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss it when we come back. If you have feedback or suggestions for me, you can find me on Twitter at jessieopie, or you can email me at j-o-p-o-i-e-n at madison.com. If you need some other podcasts to listen to while you're waiting for the return of Wedge Issues, you can check out our other Cap Times podcasts like The Corner Table or The Mad Splanners. Hope you're all enjoying these first signs of spring returning to Wisconsin. I'll see you on the other side of that spring break. Wedge Issues has been brought to you by wispolitics.com. There are plenty of benefits to becoming a member. You can go to wispolitics.com slash membership to find out more.